everybody. Great to see you here. My name is Mary, as Newt said, I'm one of the leaders here at St. Augustine's. And it's great to be speaking to you today. And hello to everybody who is watching online or listening online. Um, In this series, we've been looking at the topic of Sabbath through the book of Exodus. And we're so fortunate at St. Augustine's to have big theological thinkers on our speaking roster who know inside out and back to front how X relates to Y and why that's relevant now. To me, it looks like there's one speaker that's preferable than all the rest. Don't know, Josh Taylor's looking, they all look like they're kind of looking in awe at him, which I would be, which I would be too. He's a great guy. Um, guys Guys and girls, I hate to disappoint you, but I am not one of those scholars. It's not me. But I am female, so I feel like that gives me a couple of extra points. Um, But when it comes to the Bible, I'm definitely choosing the New Testament over the Old to speak about any day. But sadly today, I don't have that choice. New instructed me that I preach on this. And of course, I always do what Newt says. True, isn't it, Newt? Um, To be honest, when I first read the text through, I struggled with how this passage is relatable to now because that's what is what I'm always bothered about when I'm reading the Bible. I get that it's also significant, but mostly I just want to fast forward and work out how something that happened in 1300 BC is relevant to my life today in 2023 AD. So I read through the passage a couple of times in kind of the standard versions, but nothing stood out to me. Then I read the message version and it clicked and I was like, Moses, I get you. And where I'd struggled to find the now and the then, suddenly I found Moses very relatable. And I realized that Mo and I have actually got quite a lot in common. Moses feels inadequate. I know I can come across very self-assured, but if you know about Strength Finders um, personality test that measures 34 strengths in order, I have self-assurance number 28 out of 34. So I tend to stick to the narrow margin of things that I'm good at, and I avoid the rest. Moses is direct. Some say that that can be a trait of mine. Uh, Moses wants to be in the know with God. I like to know everything that's going on. I don't like to be left out of the inside intel. Moses gets frustrated with God. Um, I spent half an hour brainstorming this passage with Newt the other week and getting frustrated trying to find the relevance of it all and to the many unanswered questions to God that arise when our lives don't go as planned and prayers don't get answered. Moses needs positive affirmation and fishes for compliments. Guilty. To get the best out of me, I need prayers. Moses doesn't want to go it alone without God. I can attest that in my life, Doing life without God has not been successful. But most importantly, Moses loves the Israelites just as God does. He cares about the role he's been given to lead them. And he wants to show them that God will indeed fulfill his promises to them and will take them out of the wilderness and into the promised land where he will give them the rest that they so desperately crave. And do you know what? I love all of you at St. Augustine's, just as God does, and I take really seriously my role on staff. And I so desperately want to help and journey alongside you in your faith, showing you that God is a good God. God is a God who you can trust. And I want to see just as much as you do the fulfillment of God's work in your lives. So let's try and make that happen, shall we? 
So now I feel like I and hopefully you can kind of see the humanity in Moses a bit more. Let's go back to the passage. Paul Moses has been having a rough old time. And do you know what? God has too. God is angry at the Israelites. And so God and Moses are having this intense discussion back and forth about the Israelites and what they've been up to. In the previous chapter, Moses had come down from Mount Sinai after receiving the Ten Commandments and discovered that the people had built a golden calf to worship. In his anger, he smashes the tablets and tries to find out who's responsible. The people are running wild, we're told in verse 25. In restoring order, there's a bloodbath where 3,000 are slaughtered. Then God tells Moses he is to lead his people to the promised land. God's whole aim was to be with Israel and amongst them. How do you think he must have felt to see the Israelites turning against him? He wasn't a fan. And that is the reason why the people's rebellion in worshipping the golden calf is such a devastating event. Israel's golden calf worship violated the first and most important commandment about worshipping God alone and not worshipping idols. Not the more, most important, it was just the first. Exodus 33, 33-4, But I won't be with you in person. You're such a stubborn and hard-headed people, lest I destroy you on the journey. This covenant-breaking act endangered God's whole project of deliverance and dwelling in the midst of Israel. They had stopped seeking and depending on God like they once had and started looking to themselves for the answers. There was no longer a sense of God's presence. It had to be the saddest time in their history. So Moses knew that they really needed God to show himself. So God is disappointed with them. And if it were me, I'd want to wash my hands of the Israelites too. But equally, in his directness that I mentioned earlier, Moses is not having any of it. He succeeded in convincing God not to destroy the Israelites immediately after the golden calf rebellion. Moses reminded God of the promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that God would bring the Israelites into the promised land of Canaan. But how was God going to accomplish that without destroying them? So they have this back and forth of compromises, but Moses won't accept the alternatives that God offers. He knows that the only thing that makes the Israelites any different to any other people or, or nation of the world is that God is in their midst and that he travels with them on their journey. So Moses keeps pressing God with a number of arguments and keeps reminding him that they are your people, your responsibility. He appeals to the unique relationship between God and his people to persuade him to be with them, not to send the angel God had previously offered to do, but for God to be with him. Because God knew that without it actually being God with them, how would they seem any different? How would people know that they were the chosen ones? And because of this unique relationship, God is finally persuaded by Moses and chooses to have mercy and to forgive them, to be with them, when he could have easily have destroyed them. And so this morning, I want to break down these verses into four points to to explore how Moses of the then can relate to us in the now. Firstly, Moses realizes his own inadequacies. Verse 12, Moses says to God, look, you tell me, lead these people, but you don't let me know whom you're going to send with me. Moses realizes his own inadequacy, but this is a good thing. Often we start a project or a new venture with great confidence, but so often we forget to involve God in the whole process. 
I remember when I was in my early 20s, I was working for a Christian-based um, charity teaching sex and relationships education to mainstream secondary school kids in central London. I was very confident at what I was doing. I really enjoyed it. But my life was not reflecting what I was teaching. If I'm honest, I was being a real hypocrite. We had a training course, and a lady came to teach on sexually transmitted infections. And at the beginning of the session, before she started, she said, I was praying this morning, and God gave me a Bible passage, which I feel is maybe for one of you. Before she'd said it, I was already in tears. It seems to be a theme in my stories. I had no idea what she was going to say, but the Holy Spirit in that moment made it clear that it was for me. I was feeling quite dread, quite a lot of dread. Um, it was from Esther 4, 13 to 14. And it said, don't think that just because you live in the king's house, you're the one Jew who will get out of this alive. If you persist in staying silent at a time like this, help and deliverance will arrive for the Jews from someplace else but you and your family will be wiped out. Who knows, maybe you were made queen for such a time as this. To me in that moment, God was saying, Mary, you can live your life your way, but I've got plans for you. If you carry on as you are, I can just get someone else to do it. But if you wanna carry on with me, I'll make it good. I was so confronted by my own weaknesses and inadequacies, so obviously shown up, I had to get up and walk out. I thought I could carry on with one foot in God's plans and one in mine, but of course I couldn't. And God was making that clear to me. He was saying, you need me. If you don't want to let me in, I'll just go out and hang out with someone else who actually wants me. Because God doesn't ever force himself on us. We have to want to be in relationship with him. And that was a real turning point in my life. Would I walk with God or without him? I knew that I needed him, and so I turned to him rather than away. Moses was one step ahead of me. He knew that he needed God, but he felt he needed someone with him to help him. And he wanted God to make himself more known to Moses. But feeling inadequate as Moses did here was in truth a gift from God, as it was a gift for me. For when we become aware of our own inadequacies, it can lead us to turn to God and lean on him in what we're doing. So if this morning you are facing a situation where you feel inadequate, face that feeling, own it as real and true and ask the Holy Spirit to guide and strengthen you so that you will go forward in his way and not your own. Secondly, Moses is blunt in sharing his feelings with God. In verse 13, it says, you tell me I know you well and you are special to me. If I'm so special to you, let me in on your plans. That way, I will continue being special to you. Don't forget, this is your people, your responsibility. Now, to me, Moses kind of sounds like a small child who's a bit fed up and annoyed that they're not being given enough attention. There's no filter, he's being direct. But it's also personal. There isn't the reverence you might expect with talking to God because it's a two-way dialogue. They are in relationship with each other. And God calls us to be in relationship with him. It's like a friendship. God wants to be our friend. He doesn't want, just want us to come to him in emergency situations or even just on a Sunday. He wants it to be 24-7. I've had conversations with people recently going through hard stuff and I've asked, where do you see God in this? And often it seems that they've realized that he's distant and they've realized it's not because he wants to be but because they haven't invited him in. God wants to engage with him in the good and the bad. Moses says to him, don't forget. And of course, God never forgets, but Moses challenges God as to his purpose and method. 
And as you meet with God, allow yourself to be brutally honest with how you're feeling. Are you feeling let down by God? Say so. Do you feel like you long for him to work in situations in your life? Say so. Are you feeling frustrated, not just for yourself, but for your community and for the people around you in the wider world? Say so. God can take it. As I shared in my last talk, looking at the Psalms, the writers were not quiet. They yelled to God about their feelings of being left in the wilderness by him. God wants engagement and not apathy. He wants closeness, not distance. Even if it's us getting mad at him, he'll take that over being ignored any day. Because he wants to hang out with us. He wants to be our buddy, our friend, our advisor, our confidant. He could have given up on the Israelites, but he loved them just as he loves us, just as he loves you. He forgave them just as he forgives us, just as he forgives you. Thirdly, God promises to be with Moses until their journey ends. In verse 14 we read, God says, my presence will go with you. I'll see the journey to the end. In other translations it says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And this can be broken into two parts. Firstly, my presence will go with you. This is the key response that Moses wants. He can face any situation if God is with him. And I don't know what you face this morning. Maybe you're struggling with grief, with disappointment. Maybe a new or difficult work situation, bad health or tricky family or friendship situations. God keeps his promise to Moses simple. My presence will go with you. Moses has been desperate to know that God will be with him and the Israelites so that they can be set apart from others. And we can have that assurance that God is with us in those difficult times. He's walking alongside us. God says to you today, my presence will go with you. He is always with you. In the second part, he says, I'll see the journey to the end or I will give you rest. And over this series, as we've been looking at the Sabbath and the practice of the Sabbath, yes, there's the literal Sabbath day that Jim was talking about last week, and if you haven't listened to his talk, I'd highly recommend it. It's a great talk. Um, But there's also the sense of Sabbath being the time and the space where you allow God into your life and situations, where you make that space to truly connect with Him and to hear His voice. I realized the other day that I hadn't really been doing that much lately, and so last Saturday, Instead of doing my normal run listening to podcasts, I decided to walk and to listen to worship music. It was a beautiful day. The sun was rising over the water. And I stopped on the beach for a while and took in the beauty around me and decided to chat to God and listen to what he wanted to say to me and who to pray for. And I'd say that in that 30-minute walk, I heard and experienced more of God than I probably had done in the past month. We talk about the practice of Sabbath, not to add to your mental load or guilt at not having achieved it. Believe me, I'm an extrovert. I'm a mother of four kids, nine and under, whilst working half the week. Ask the TAS staff team, they know very, very well that the talk of Sabbath is very triggering for me. But we talk about it because taking that time to really connect with God can actually decrease your mental load. It can actually help to give focus It can help just disconnect to the stress that is going on in life. It can help to give answers to the things that are causing you grief. 
And it all can also benefit others because by connecting with God, we can become aware of how God wants to use us in our relationships with those around us. Having that time to connect to God can help us give that rest and time to see how our journey of life can unfold if and when we invite God in on the ride. In verse 15, however, Moses still doesn't quite believe God. He's still worried. Moses said, if your presence doesn't take the lead here, call this trip off right now. Moses doubts God. And don't we all have that at times? Are you there, God? Are you real? If you are, show yourself to me. Moses was no different to us. And it's okay to doubt and to question God. It's part of our journey of faith. And if today you're sitting here and you're not sure of God's presence in your life, then ask God to reveal himself to you. Moses is also scared. There's a lot riding on the journey ahead and also on his leadership. How does he know that God will really be with them? Have you found that in your life? That you hear a sermon or you say the prayer, but you still don't quite believe that God will be with you. You don't think that he really will answer your prayer. Some of you may have seen this picture before, but it's a good one, so I'm sharing it again. This is a picture of Jude when he was about three years old. He and Wilf um, had norovirus and they were so ill. And as you can see from this picture, he almost looks a bit dead. And I remember him saying to me, Mummy, why am I so ill? He was pretty young, so I couldn't really explain in detail what a virus is, he wouldn't understand. But I could be his mum. I could be there for him. I could look after him. And he could complain about how ill he felt. He could cry out to me. And although I couldn't make him better, I could comfort him. I could try and ease his symptoms, but mostly I could just love him as his mum. And there are prayers and situations that don't seemingly get answered by God. There are things that we can't understand that can hurt like crazy. But in those times, we can allow God to comfort and hold us because it's possible to trust in God even when we don't understand. During those times of pain and of unanswered prayers, don't push away from God's love. Lean in and let him love you because he does love you so much. Whatever has happened in your life, whatever you feel about yourself, God loves you. There's a story of Queen Bertha of Kent way back in the sixth century in England. She was a Christian who was, um, her husband was a pagan king. He decided to build a prayer room for her though so she could do her church thing and she went every single day and prayed for her husband Ethelbert to get saved. It took 17 years of praying in that chapel until God dramatically answered her prayers. In 597 AD, a bunch of monks came and they preached the gospel. Not only did Ethelbert get saved, but from out of those sermons, a massive mission took place in that part of the country and thousands turned to Christ. The reason Canterbury Cathedral in England was built by one of those monks in Ethelbert's land is because that is where his wife had been praying all of those years. The heart of the Anglican Church around the world to this day, and therefore the heart of St. Augustine's, goes back to a wife praying for her husband. It was because of her stacking dominoes 
Bertha probably thought that she was just praying for her husband, but in fact, she was praying for a nation and for generations to come. 17 years of praying, but we are feeling the consequences 1,400 years later. See, sometimes we're stacking the dominoes for years, and sometimes it's just months or weeks or days. The word, world, word Israel means the struggles. The Israelites struggled as they were in the wilderness for all of that time, waiting for God to answer their prayers and lead them through to the promised land. And in the same way, we are part of a faith that is all about wrestling. We can question when our prayers go unanswered if God really does love us. But we are reminded during this time of Lent and as we look towards Easter this coming week that the cross of Jesus and his resurrection promise shows us his love and shows us that he always is and always will be with us until our journeys end. Lastly, in verse 16, Moses is concerned about his witness. How else will it be known that you're with me in this, with me and your people? Are you traveling with us or not? How else will you know that we're special, I and your people, among all others people on this planet Earth? He wants other peoples to see that the people of Israel who Moses leads are in fact led by the one true God. He points out that it is only God's presence which will make them distinctive. All our kids have gone to or are currently at um, the daycare in kindy at Laidlaw Bible College called Olive Shoots. And I've had friends who've had um, kids there or taught elsewhere, and they've said, Olive Shoots is just so different to other daycare centers. There's just something about it that makes it feel so different. And I can tell you what that difference is. It's God. There is a tangible presence of God there in the center. The teachers love the kids as God would. They tell them they love them. They pray, pray for them. They care deeply for them. The sense of the Holy Spirit in that center is tangible. What makes us as St. Augustine's distinctive from sports clubs or from any other social group? The one thing that sets us apart is when people come into our community and sense the presence of God. Because when others will, but when others will sense the presence of God, well, they'll only sense it when we as a community are truly open to what he might want to do. If we are so open to God that we allow him to come and work among us and through us, people will sense his presence and see his spirit at work with us. Here at St. Augustine's, the broken person should be able to come and find wholeness. The lost should find direction. The lonely friendship. The troubled peace. The grieving should find comfort. The guilty forgiveness. The seeking and encounter with the living God. But to be very clear, this will not come by, about by our team of preachers. This will not be brought about by our music and singing. This will only be brought about through God using his people, using me, using you, the people of God in this place. Moses didn't want to move forward in any way without those looking, being able to see that he and the Israelites were indeed the people of the one true God. And to us at St. Augustine's, may the presence of God fill this place and use us as a people in the same way. May we allow his power and his love to work here on a Sunday as we meet together as a whanau and during the week as we live out our faith in our day-to-day -day lives. And to you in your own faith, in the then, the Holy Spirit was on Moses and the Israelites for a particular time, but it was not available to all. 
But because of the promise of Easter, because of Jesus' suffering on the cross, because he is shared in our broken humanity, because he knows how hard it is to be human, because of his resurrection, Jesus is alive and he walks with us today. And in the now, we have the promise that the Holy Spirit is available for all times and for all people if we choose to invite him into our lives. As I said earlier, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. God loves you. His arms are always welcome to you. Will you decide to run to him today? Let's stand and pray.